Welcome to the Pet Cash Pod. I'm your host, Andrew Pet Cash. This is the 11th episode in my series where I interview founders, investors, athletes, and the smartest people in sports. Today's guest is Brian Fagan. He's the founder of Encore Sports, a marketing agency that was acquired in 2021, right before the legalization of NIL. Encore currently boasts over 100 athletes, 50 brands, and 40 universities in its portfolio. Brian is also the head of sales at the Playbook app, which is a creator platform for athletes and fitness influencers. We cover an array of interesting topics today, including Brian's journey of building Encore, sports marketing, NIL, sales tips, and much more. I think you'll take a lot away from this conversation. It was certainly a fun one on my side. Let's dive in. Brian, appreciate you coming on the podcast, brother. You just tell us a little bit about Encore marketing and going from starting it yourself, scaling, and then exiting about a year ago, bringing on partners and uh, that whole experience and how it's been for you. Yeah, thanks. Um, excited to, to be here with you. Um, started Encore about six years ago, like 2016. And really it existed just to help athletes like market themselves and, and become become influencers. And for your audience, the idea of, as an, of, a, of an athlete as an influencer is like, you know, it's second secondhand. It's like, no, no duh. Like, that's exactly... It's exactly what they are. But six years ago, I didn't feel like athletes were really like excelling on social media and being treated um, as vehicles for like influencer style marketing. And so I was working in a corporate marketing position and was really familiar with with influencer marketing. And I decided to reach out to some of my some of my athlete friends and see if they might be interested in having me help them. And so I did. And that's how Encore started and started helping a handful of of NFL players, NBA players, and kind of one thing. One thing led to another, and then um, and Encore was doing pretty well. And then uh, with NIL approaching, you know, the ability for all these college athletes to get paid, we start hearing that this is all going to be legalized here really soon. We find out it'll be kind of July 2021. And so I'm preparing for that and talking to some universities and figuring out, like, what this business model is going to look like at the college level, knowing, I mean, this space is going to be space going to be huge. And so... At that time, I was approached by an investment group out of Utah called Mercury Marketing Group. And these guys were like expert, um, really like sales organization scalers, I would call them that, right? Like they just had to scale sales organizations. And they expressed an interest to purchase part of Encore and try to grow it. And it was like a no brainer for me. It was like, of course, like I've been alone this whole time. And, and now I can have some really talented partners with a bunch of resources, capital, human capital. And, and so we did it. And, uh, Encore has obviously accelerated um, since that time and, and is in a good spot today. And it's it's been awesome. You talk about the influencer marketing a little bit and athletes. Where do you see just not just the athlete space, but also the creator economy as a whole going over the next year, couple of years? Yeah, I mean, it's I think it only will go up. Um, it will it will only get more and more popular. And I do feel like every single year we hear influencer marketing is, is going to increase by 80% and, you know, 97% of brands say that the budgets are being allocated influencer marketing and expect, you know, more influencer marketing in 2019. It's just going to keep getting bigger. It'll keep shifting. It'll keep changing. Micro influencers are getting bigger. Um, it's not about paying, you know, the top guy or the top girl, like top dollar anymore. Like there's, it's just being spread out and kind of democratized across, um, across, everybody who has any kind of social presence and i think we'll just continue seeing that happen yeah and you uh you work the sales role at playbook which is one of the top creator platforms kind of in the mix of mostly fitness but you have some athletes on there and some other things what are you seeing from that side of things like with athletes and them like how are they approaching this and are there any 
has there been a change since NIL came around where people are viewing it differently? It's crazy to see, like, I have a unique kind of, kind of day-to-day. Obviously, Encore is, is awesome working just with professional athletes and college athletes and, and representing them and, and collectives we can talk about at some point as well. But at Playbook, I get to talk to the world's best creators from, like, a fitness health and wellness standpoint. And it's really cool because I'll get to get on Zoom like this all day and I'll meet these creators and I'll ask them what they're doing and how they're making money and how it's going. And I'm just routinely blown away as I meet creators with modest social followings. They don't all have a million followers. We see creators with with you know tens of thousands of followers or a hundred thousand followers that are making insane money and you know using their brand and i've i've looked behind the curtain a little bit at playbook and i was like oh my god i think i'm in the wrong space uh, it is i know crazy. we should be fitness influencers literally like, i mean anybody listening who's like sort of a fitness influencer like keep going just, like, you just are on the right track get it get in the sauna get in the ice tub promote some <laughs> cool stuff it's wild it's awesome though because it's all really good dudes and girls too that, that are doing awesome stuff but yeah sorry i'll let you go yeah no they're great and it's coaching and, and what we've seen like you think of influencer marketing you think of a brand saying hey andrew i'm gonna pay you a thousand bucks and you post this and obviously that's going to continue but so many of these influencers and creators are the access to be to be able to launch their own brand, their own product line, supplements, protein bars, like any kind of any kind of product, snacks, whatever, or do their their coaching. Like mm. we have creators that are just like I typed up this PDF on 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 a Google Doc and I email it to anybody who buys it for three hundred dollars. Like, oh, how much money have you made? Oh, I made seventy five grand last month, and it's just like what? Like that's crazy, you know? And so. Playbook exists to make that experience better for the creator and give them way better technology and does an amazing job of that. But it is, it is a testament to where the market's at with creators today. Yeah. And how do Encore and Playbook kind of tie in together for you? I know you mentioned it briefly, but do you get to see like, like do both sides and the relationships help you out and and how are you utilizing that? Yeah, great question. I mean, I, there's not a ton of crossover in that we've got fitness influencers at playbook as like, you know, the main people. And we have athletes with encore, but there's been a few cases where athletes at encore have been like, Hey, I want to launch my own type of training program or coaching clinic or whatever it may be. And I'm like, Oh, I know the perfect, I know the perfect spot for you. Um, and, and I've been able to plug in a few, a few athletes like Sean Clifford comes to mind, the Penn state quarterback who the dude's like an NIL, you know, like he's all Sean's over. The I, don't best. Know, I don't know to call him. He's the best, right? Yeah. Um, and and he wanted to launch some kind of like quarterback coaching school, and it was really cool. And it's still it's still kind of at the ground level for him, but it's it's so cool that to be able to plug in playbook as that resource. And he's you know he's he's there talking about how to rehab your injuries and take ice baths and stuff like that. And so young young kids that want to be quarterbacks can pay fifteen bucks a month and get access to his digital training app. Yeah. Do you think we're going to see more athletes? I don't even want to bucket just athletes, maybe even coaches or just basketball trainers start to like that whole world become more digitized where even less of it is happening in person. And people are just really viewing using apps like playbook or, you know, relationships or social media in general to kind of get their training formats down. Yeah, uh, for sure. I, I don't know why it wouldn't. Um, I think five, 10 years ago, the idea of a personal trainer training you online would have been head scratching. I think like a lot of trainers would have like gaffed at that a little bit and been like, oh, I can't, you know, properly assess my client if I'm not there in person. The same way that, you know, corporations felt about remote work years ago. And now it's like, Mm -hmm. 
I mean, we're all doing it. It's, it's, it's the best way. It's, you know, there's so many yep. advantages and we've found that the barriers, while they still exist, you know, we can overcome them in different ways. And then we're seeing that happen with training and, and obviously playbook being the shining example of that. I, I don't see a reason why that wouldn't happen more with, with like some of the world's best athletic coaches, um, you know, being mm-hmm. able to share their knowledge and train clients in the same way. It's obviously happening a little bit, but it, it hasn't happened at, at scale yet, but I, I don't see a reason well, why it won't happen. Yeah, Brian, we have a bunch of entrepreneurs that listen to this or people even looking to sp- start sports startups. You have a pretty big role at Playbook on the sales side. You've obviously, you know, dipped your toes in the founder and entrepreneur side, and you still have a role there at Encore and getting that acquired in that whole lane. You know, any advice on that kind of front of, you know, skills to learn or stuff you've taken in, wisdom uh, that you would like to share that you think could be helpful to anyone listening to this? It's a great question. I mean, I, I'm like... There's, there's nothing uh, proprietary to my mind, but I've gotten a lot of really great pieces of advice from from others. And I mean, may, maybe that's the advice that I would give is like, go learn from people mm-hmm. who have done it. I, I, you know, there's a period of my life, I don't do it as much anymore and I should, but, you know, kind of coming out of school and while I was in school, um, if you were successful, like I was, I was asking you, I was being annoying. I was asking you questions oh, yeah. and like trying to get advice and pick up those little nuggets. And like, um, you know, I, I like, I, I think that's helped me a lot. Um, I think one of the best pieces of advice I got, I'll, I'll leave the person nameless, but a, a very successful entrepreneur um, just was like, focus. That was his advice. It's like, just, mm-hmm. just focus. Like, doesn't mean you have to do the same thing for like, you know, o- only have one project. I've never only had one project. I've always been doing multiple things, but it was like focus. And what I've found is that when the going gets tough on one of the things I'm doing, sometimes I'm tempted to like shift gears and like go escape to, to something Mm -hmm. else. And, and I think that the, that advice is really helpful to me where it's like, you have to kind of break down those walls and those barriers and and make what you're doing successful. It's only going to happen if you focus, but um, so yeah, maybe two things there. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And and you see it even now, it's really cool with athletes and I have a bunch, like I, I haven't, I wouldn't even say I really built anything that crazy yet at least, but like kids in I college, I appreciate it. But kids like reaching out to me that are athletes and it's like NIL is kind of enabling that ability where now these kids are maybe taking a class they normally wouldn't have, or, you know, they're, they're just exploring and, and it's, you're so true. You just got to find people that are doing things you want to do or you can learn from and get, get attached to them. But I want to kind of pull into Encore a little bit here of what you build in NIL so you mentioned getting into the collectives a little bit and what you're trying to do in that yeah. space. I'd love to learn some more. Obviously, that's a huge piece. Uh, if you can just explain what they are, um, I'm sure everyone will know. But just in case, that, that would be appreciative as well. Yeah, no, the word collective, um, I'm sure to, to your audience and to you, like in no. exactly what it is. But as I meet people just in, in you know friends or neighbors or whatever, and we talk business and I bring up the word collective, like most people don't know what that word means at least in terms of what it is today um what we've seen so like for anybody who's maybe not familiar that's that that you know with the word collective nil exists to be able to let student athletes profit from their name image and likeness and so um and i I, i'm not i'm I'm not i won't sugarcoat any of this industry like that's what it exists to do and we see the debate rage on twitter and everything i'm just calling a spade a spade like NIL exists for an athlete who's at the college ranks to be able to say, Hey, look, I have a huge following or the school's using my name, image and likeness, or like this brand wants to be able to pay me for some kind of marketing thing. And now they're allowed to get paid. And like, it should be, that's how it always should have been. 
um, still can't pay to play. You know, the kids still can't be on salary to go play their sport from the school. But what happened as NIL was opened up is wild, wild west. I mean, it's been it's been crazy to watch it all develop. And collectives popped up. And collectives are essentially a series of donors at the university or fans of a university that donate to the school or, or, or maybe they don't previously donate to the school, but they have money. And they choose to put that money together into what we're calling a collective. And then those student athletes are being paid by the collective to do X, Y, or Z at the university. And so it's being used in recruiting. It's being used in, in retaining athletes with the transfer portal. And of course, it's, it's just being used to, to help student athletes make money. And it's obviously a huge blessing to their lives as they've been able to kind of find some degree of financial freedom while a student athlete, we all, we all know student athletes and, yeah. you know, like they don't have time to even work like, like I got to when I was in school. And so um, now they're able to kind of like systematically pay these student athletes, but still within the the rules and guidelines that the NCAA has put forth, which is which is the utmost importance, right? So that's uh, it's kind of you see most most universities have a collective today. Yeah, and what are you guys doing at Encore with these collectives, or what do you plan to be doing with them? Yeah, Encore works with a handful of collectives right now. Um, we are their operating partner, so you get. You get a handful of donors or, or ton, dozens, hundreds of donors, supporters of the university. They put their money together and they want to pay the student athlete. And it's kind of like, okay, well, what next? Um, how, does, how does that collective tie in with the university? How is it compliant with the NCAA? How are those kids being treated fairly? What's like the legality that goes into these relationships? Um, who's managing the money? Who's distributing the money? Who's holding the kids accountable for the things that they're supposed to do in return? They're deliverables for the payment they're receiving. And so Encore's come in as an operating partner at, at schools like Arizona State and BYU and Louisville and TCU to come in and, and operate the collective. We aren't, um, we're, not, we're not acting on behalf of the school. We're not acting on behalf of, of the kids necessarily, although we do represent a ton of, of right. student athletes. But in that role, Encore is an operating partner for the collective. Yeah. And do you ever see a, or maybe in the future, like a time period where the collectives almost get folded in to the university side, or do you think we're just going to see it remain separate? I, uh, it's a, that's another really good question. I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I'll just tell you the biggest problem with them getting rolled up inside of the university is previously at any university, there is kind of two ways for the public to support with their money. The first was corporate partnerships where like the local brands could go buy signage in the stadium or like a spot on the radio or, or whatever it may be. Um, the second is the alumni, the alumni association. So if you're, you know, you go to the university and then you, you graduate, every school has like their sports alumni where you can donate and you're, you know, you're a major booster of the university. That money never went to the kids. None of those, neither of those opportunities had money headed to the kids. Well, enter NIL and enter collectives and suddenly kids are allowed to get paid. And a lot of those brands in the community and a lot of those donors in the community would love to pay the kids. They don't necessarily want to stop supporting the university. They don't want to take their sign down from the stadium. And a lot of the, the wealthy you know, alumni aren't necessarily saying, hey, I want to pull back my donation from the school, but they are interested in supporting those student athletes. And um, it's been great and healthy so far, but you could imagine if the school controlled the students as well. And they had, you know, the, the collective was in house. 
the school ultimately is then talking to those wealthy individuals or those brands and telling them where to put their money. And um, frankly, I think the schools, you know, they're going to look out for their own pocketbooks. They always have. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they've always tried to operate, you know, an, an athletic department that is as close to break even or profitable as they possibly can. And, and so if a donor says, hey, I've got a million bucks and, and the school is going to get to choose where that money's going to go, we, we could see them funneling it away from the student athletes when those maybe those donors want to give it to the student athletes. And so in that regard, the collectives being third party and operated as a third party and separate from the university are are, you know, it's super important that that it stays that way, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that was a good perspective uh, on that for sure. There's a lot of challenges, both legally, operationally, just socially even between all the, the groups in that situation. But I'm just curious, as we kind of, you, you have a big base in Utah, especially at the University of Utah and also BYU. Are there any initiatives you're seeing at either of those colleges slash universities that uh, you think is really unique um, that you would like to shine some light on? Yeah. Um, wh- one really good example of NIL being more than just a, a numbers, like a money, a money game is, mm-hmm. is BYU. Like they're BYU is my alma mater. We're, we're headquartered like five miles from campus out there in Utah. I live in California now, but on course headquarters is right next to BYU. So we're, we're super tied in with the university there. And, um, there's, there'll be more information on this soon, but the Royal blue collective is BYU's collective. And we operate that collective just got announced a couple weeks ago. And one of the things that was extremely important to all of the decision makers that, that kind of had a voice in this. And as, as you know, everybody gets together and talks about what the future of NIL is going to look like for the university, whether that's coaches or administrators or the donors or the brands, it was, was mental health. And that's something that, that BYU's said like, Hey, like all the money that's in this collective, it's not, you know, it's not all going to be, for the kids, like, like, it's not just gonna just gonna go straight to their wallets. It's for the kids. I shouldn't say that. But it's not just direct payments, but we're actually going to fund mental health programs for those student athletes. So they have resources that the school isn't able to provide that, that, you know, their private insurance doesn't provide or whatever it may be. And I think that was, that was something that we can look forward to, to the news kind of breaking on, on exactly what that program is going to look like, because it's gonna be really cool. Yeah, that's, that sounds really cool. Are you seeing I mean, you work with a bunch of these athletes, uh, both on the mark, you know, the sports agency encore side, and then also on the, uh, you know, with all these fitness creators, is mental health something that you're seeing like a recurring theme um, in the space? You know, mental health, like it's it's near and dear to my heart. It's something I've I've dealt with in my life, and I think, um, you know, the the athletes certainly like it's it's hard. I mean, being a student athlete, you got to wake up at the you know before the sun's even out. You got to go get some reps in, then you're going to go to class. You're going to bear the burden of a normal student. Then you're going to end class. You're going to go to practice, which is likely more rigorous than your classes. And I went to classes and they were rigorous, you know? And so then you're going to, you're going to practice. You're going to get out of practice and you've probably got to go to study hall to try to catch up on the stuff that you may have missed that other kids are in the library doing all day. Um, I don't know if this is true, but it is probably true. But the credit hours, I was told this in school, as you take credit, I'm taking 15 credit hours. That was those credit hours essentially it's you're supposed to count if you have a three credit class you're supposed to count on three hours a day during the school week that you should be allocating your time to that class i don't know if that's like a formal rule i just heard that once so if it's a one credit class you should count on it taking an hour of your day five days a week if it's a three three credit class you should take three hours of your day five days a week so imagine taking 15 credit hours is pretty standard load that's 15 hours a day that they're saying you should dedicate to that to either being in class or or studying for that 
course. And I found that to be true. Like at the very least, you're going to need to put in three hours a day to like a, you know, a, a three credit econ class or something, you know, and now imagine layering that with being an elite level college athlete. You're, you're preparing for the game, the match of your, of your life, of your career, like your future family depends on this game. You know, you, these kids are thinking that way. They're trying to go pro They're you know, or their, their heart and souls on the line. And how much, how many hours are they putting into their sport? Well, a lot, you know, how could you possibly balance those two things? So mental health for those kids, like it takes a toll hundred percent. Yeah. So you, you have class, you have travel, you have games. So basically now we're saying you need NIL, get some payments. And then also we're seeing some cool initiatives around mental health. I'm, I'm just curious more from a personal standpoint here. How was your experience at BYU? Did you, you enjoy your time there? Yeah. BYU is a unique place. Um, super unique place. I grew up in California just, you know, normal, normal, like Southern California, BYU is a religious university, right? So it's a Mormon school. And so the, the Mormon church is like extremely prevalent there. It owns the university and and most of the kids there are religious in that way. And so the school is super unique, but it's also really cool. Like, I think it was, it was a really cool experience to be, you know, grow up really religious and be able to go to school at, you know, in a place where everybody else around me was religious too. And it, it makes for a unique environment. There's no there's no drinking, no heavy partying, you know, you're not going to find that stuff as you walk around campus like you would at another school. But um, in terms of like the sports and the social scene, like it was it was awesome, like such a cool place. Yeah, it looks awesome. I always like to say the probably the biggest school that ever recruited me was BYU for basketball, but, you know, very minimal, a few letters, but like they, they weren't really recruiting me. They were just but but I was like, said, oh, that was the biggest one. They thought you might be the next Jimmer. Oh man, that'd be awesome. Jimmer, Jimmer is like one of the guys I look up to just from obviously a basketball standpoint, but then even now he's doing awesome stuff with tandem ventures and his business acumen. I'm not sure how familiar you are, but BYU, assuming the community there is very tight as well. Has that helped at all throughout your processes in the business world, just the alumni and, and that connection? Totally. Like it's interesting. So doing marketing in the early days of Encore and still today, like some of our biggest clients, people like Taysom Hill on the Saints. Like he's, he's great. Like he's super popular at Saints fans love him. Um, but, but he's got, he's got endorsement opportunities that come out of Utah. They come out of Idaho where he's from. Right. Like, and it's, it's super unique. Some of these BYU athletes, when they go and they play, you know, the pro ranks across the country, like the, the, the community is so tight knit there in, in Utah and within kind of the church element that these athletes are able to, maybe get marketing deals that they wouldn't get otherwise because they're, you know, they're reaching a, a demographic that, that is super, super unique that, that certain brands really care to hit. And so Taysom Hill is a great example of that. Jimmer too, like Jim, the, the, the fandom around Jimmer is, is and was just absolutely insane. His senior year was my freshman year at BYU. And it was like, it was the, I know it was like, it was the coolest thing ever. And we've had a chance at Encore to work with Jimmer quite a bit. He's on playbook as well. He's got a, he's got a basketball training app and he sits, now as an advisor at the Royal Blue Collective at BYU. So we're, we're, uh, we're, we're pretty tight with Jimmer. We love Jimmer. That's awesome. I'm just curious, uh, Taysom, very dynamic on the field. Is he pretty dynamic off the field as well? Do you guys have a lot of cool stuff going on if, if there's any of it that you can go into? Yeah, Taysom's a businessman. He's, uh, he's as smart on the field as he is off the field, or maybe I should say it the other way around. But like, I think um, you look at Taysom Hill as a person. Like I, I, I love Taysom Hill as a fan. And I'm also his marketing manager. We're very close. But like before that, I loved him as a player. And I was, a, I was a huge Taysom Hill fan. You look at his college career. He had like four arguably like career ending injuries. And I don't know if people realize that in college. Like it doesn't get talked about a ton 
when he's playing football in the NFL. He he had a list a list Frank in his foot, which you know was a pretty bad one in, in college. He he broke like he broke like his his like knee and like tore his ACL on one injury like his freshman year. Um, he he had a spiral fracture in his ankle one year that like was gnarly. I remember I knew the surgeon and the surgeon was like, this is, it was a really bad injury, man. Like it was really bad. And and he came back from that. And then the senior year, I think he like, he like broke his elbow or something. I don't know if that one's career, career ending, but like the other three are arguably career ending. And the dude comes back, doesn't get drafted, goes to the NFL and does what he does. He's able to learn the playbook as a quarterback, a running back, a tight end, a wide receiver, um, all the special team stuff he does. I don't know how that's possible. I really don't know how you could know the playbook from all those different perspectives as well as he does. I really, I'm not that well-versed in football, so maybe it's easier than I think, but like I watch it. I'm like, how do you do that? Knowing him off the field, the level of focus that guy has, it's business, man. Like he's a smart guy. He's a, he's an investment banker by like trade. Um, he's a very intelligent person. And if you, if you get a chance to kind of like tap into that and see it, it, it kind of starts making sense how he could be so good at so many different things on the football field. Having that, obviously, NFL clients, now you're having college clients. Are you seeing the shift even in athletes just being more dynamic off the field? Like, do you think that's going to continue to increase as we kind of go throughout the years here and it just spreads to even younger and younger ages? Yeah, totally. Like, look at, um, like, in the NBA right now, is there is there anybody else besides Draymond that's doing, like, a post-game podcast or, like, media show? Like, it's Draymond, right? I mean, is there any – there might be a few others, but is Draymond 10 years from now? There's going to be five guys a team doing that. You know what I mean? And it's because we're seeing it at college. We're seeing it at high school with like the, the rise to, to, of overtime and kind of like the, that, that company as a, the, the Ellis brothers who are like, you know, those twin, the, not, I don't know if they're twins, but um, they have a playbook app as well. Like you're seeing kids understand the marketing and business side of being a public figure because of their prowess in sports at a much younger age. And we're going to have, way more than just Draymond doing kind of media, I think, within a few years here at the professional ranks. How's it going to change for brands? Like you talk about, and we'll focus more on the big ones, just like a, I don't know, I'm just going to throw a random, is that like a Pepsi or Gatorade? Is any of that changing now that we have more micro-influencers and athletes in the market? Are they approaching this differently from what you've seen? You know, I haven't seen, I haven't seen a lot from them, um, you know, and I would love to. Like, we would love to work with some of those mega brands. I think that they have access to the superstar athletes already. They have kind of their exact Rolodex of people that they work with and that qualify to, to be like a, a Nike athlete, you know, at the highest level or a Gatorade athlete. Um, and so we've seen a little bit of it in the NIL where like some of these brands have, you know, pulled in some public rosters of very hand-selected people, but it's still very hand-selected. There's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of like collaborative discussion going on that I'm aware of among like, you know, the, the everyday athlete and some of those big brands yet. I hope it changes though. I hope that they, they, they reach out and work with a lot more people, but look, they're the biggest brands in the world. They, they have their pick. They can work with whoever they want. So they're staying right there at the top. Yeah. Two of the things I've seen that's been pretty cool. Adidas, they've done like kind of a nationwide campaign. They also, before Kanye had all of his stuff, they had Donda Academy. So they were even trying to set up like little powerhouses at the high school level. And then obviously uh, a BYU belt bar. I think that was the most innovative I, I still think it's probably the most innovative nil deal that we've seen where they gave all every player walk-ons and scholarship for football uh nil you know payments I, or did they all those guys get full scholarships from that yeah so i believe um all of the walk-ons got their their tuition paid 
And then all of the scholarship players had the opportunity to, to choose kind of a, a cash equivalent of that, of that um, tuition if they wanted to accept the deal. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. That's, that's an awesome deal. Now you're doing a lot of like, are you going to be operating kind of in that space a little bit of, as you were talking about Encore shifting a little bit to that collective operating type model now? Exactly. Yeah. Part of like operating a collective is not only just kind of the X's and O's of running the existing funds that have been put together by donors and essentially being hired by those donors, they're going to form a collective. We'll help them with all that setting it up as a, as a 501 so that those all, you know, all the money that comes in is, is a tax write off for those donors, but also finding new money. And a lot of the new money that we find is not only other donors and, and maybe expanding the, the reach to just general fans, but, but a big one is brands. And, and then this is where sparks marketing comes back in where we're able to go out to these brands and offer not just the quarterback, like, Hey, we represent this player. You should work with them. Now we're able to go to those brands and say, Hey, do you want to work with the entire team? Do you want to work with just the wide receivers? Do you want to represent, or do you want to, do you want to support the women's soccer team? Do you want to have the entire, you know, men's basketball team show up at your event for this thing? And we're able to bring that money in from a brand who no longer has to work with the school to get access to the athletic department. They're able to just work directly with the collective and those kids and BYU's case. And actually I think all of our collectives right now is the collective is set up as a corporate partner of the university. And so the collective then has rights to those marks and the, the logos and all that stuff. And they have seats and, and, and just access to the arenas and everything the same way that the local uh, credit union might. And then with the, with that, we're able to go back to, to those brands and, and different people that want to support and be able to pull it in and, and uh, give them like a, a, a true positive um, return on their investment when they support the collective. And so, yeah, I mean, the Philip R example is a great one, although that happened before the collective existed, but they'll, they'll continue working through it. And kids that get to, to play football at BOU will, will get to receive that benefit with, with Bill Barr. And they're launching, you know, bars that are, that are like around BYU and all that stuff. It's really cool. Yeah, Brian, it's, uh, it's been fun. As we hit the 30-minute mark here, I always like to close out. And you can kind of take this wherever you want to go. But where do you see the sports market, NIL market? You know, what are some trends you see going into this new year of 2023 and, and even beyond? People's, people's feet are wet. You know, everybody dipped their toes in. Like, they kind of felt it out in the very beginning. Um, you know, Encore, Encore represents, I think, over 100 student-athletes right now. Um, individually. So that's our Encore Elite division and our collectives is kind of a different division. Um, you reach out to brands and like pitch NIL and student athletes and brands are a little like kind of weary and the, the sales element really has to come into play where you explain why the, why it's worth it. And it was a challenge for the last year and a half. 2023, I think everybody's get, getting it. I think it's kind of like, look, these are just these are just local pro athletes at the end of the day. Like this is a, this is a great opportunity and, and people understand it a lot more. So I'm looking forward to 2023 being a little bit smoother in the whole process with NIL and seeing more brands kind of jump in and they've watched others kind of figure it out. And now we'll see kind of the mass adoption. And, and really, um, I don't know, we could go look at what, uh, what open door says, but I don't know the total amount of money that's estimated to have been spent on student athletes in 2022, but, I'd be shocked if it didn't, you know, 5x in 2023 or, or more 10x in 2023. I think it'll just continue kind of going like this until it gets to a point where it looks a lot more like pro sports and then it'll it'll level out. But we're not even close. Yeah, I think the market's a lot 
more undervalued than people think too because they're really just it's just reported transactions and that stuff and there's still a little bit that's i don't want to say it's under the table but there's still some transactions that aren't transparent so like once more and more of that becomes out in the open i think we'll get a real sense i think this is at least i mean the nba did i don't know 15 billion in revenue last year if you just talk about college sports especially football and basketball i think it will start to it will, it will get close to that, if not surpass it over time. Um, but Brian, this has been awesome. Just let people know where they can find you on social media or any of your websites and stuff. Yeah, we're, we're uh, at Encore Sports on social media. EncoreMarketing.com is our website. Anybody that wants to work with us, athletes, universities, uh, collectives that are, you know, maybe maybe get win, that's where you reach us. Um, I'm BD Fagan at, on uh, Instagram and Twitter as well. Awesome. Love it, brother.